going to be going back to the first book of the Bible this morning, back to the book of Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 4. We'll start by reading the first 15 verses of that chapter. Genesis <clears throat> chapter 4. <clears throat> and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? And if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that seeth me, that findeth me, shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we consider this passage of Scripture, we ask that you'd open our understanding, that we might see what you have for us in this this morning. We ask that we might understand your will and your meaning in all of this and what it has to do with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, it starts off, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. The first thing we need to consider, what does he mean by I have gotten a man from the Lord? There are different interpretations of this, but I think... The one that I go along with is found in, if we go back one, one chapter to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, <coughs> this <coughs> this. <coughs> This takes place, of course, after the fall, and God has come to Adam and Eve, and now 
God is pronouncing punishments or, or curses upon those that were involved. And he says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and just shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In this passage, we see the first prophecy of a coming Messiah. And I believe that as, as Eve was, okay, it says the seed of Eve would be the one that would, would bruise the head of the serpent. And so what I believe is Eve is looking at is she sees her firstborn son, and she's saying God is fulfilling his prof- promise that he would bring a savior that would bring redemption. Now, there are others that disagree with that, but I believe this is what she is saying. Here she has her firstborn son, and she's saying, God is fulfilling his promise that he has made to us that he would bring a Savior. Of course, we know now that she was wrong on that, if that indeed was what she was saying. And then it said, going on to the next verse, and again she bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. We don't get a whole lot of detail in Genesis. We kind of jump, jump, jump. You know, we start off with the creation, and it goes detail by detail by detail, but we come to the fall, and then it jumps from the curse and then being cast out of the garden and suddenly we've got Cain born and then we have Abel born and the next thing we know they're grown up and Cain has become a farmer and and Abel has become a rancher so to speak um, now I believe that as they grew up Adam and Eve taught Cain and Abel and told them what had happened and I believe they explained what was going on, what had happened, why they were kicked out of the garden, and, and God's remedy for it. And so it says, in, due, in process of time it came to pass, it came brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Here we would think, well... Cain is a farmer, he's raised all his stuff, and so he's going to bring what he provided. And that's what he does. <coughs> and it says, and Ab- <coughs> I don't know what I've got going on with my throat, but anyway. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel unto his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. <clears throat> I don't know how God showed his, his respect. He, he said it had respect. In what way? Um, we know that from time to time God spoke verbally with, Cain, with Adam and Eve, and apparently also with Cain and Abel. So how he showed this respect, or that he respected one offering and not the other, we don't really know. But they both knew that 
God had accepted Cain's, uh, Abel's offering, but had rejected Cain's offering. Now, I don't think that it was just arbitrary or that Cain didn't give the best that he had necessarily. <clears throat> but let's, let's look back in Genesis 3 again. Let's start with <clears throat> verse 7. <clears throat> verse 7. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. All right, fig leaves. This is something that comes from the plant. And so here Adam and Eve knew that they had sinned, and they, they're... It says that they were naked, and so they sewed themselves fig leaves, and they were hiding themselves. And in in effect, what they were trying to do was cover up their sin. And so they took fig leaves to try to cover up their sin. And God said, you know, this, this is not acceptable. Now let's look down to verse thir- or verse 21 of the same chapter. <clears throat> and unto Adam and also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now if we consider what has to happen in order to make coats of skin, an animal has to die. And so here we see they made for themselves something from the plants. And God looked at it and he said, this is not sufficient. This is not, will not do. And so he made for them coats of skins. And in order for them to make, him to make coats of skin, an animal had to die. And the same theme is, is, is carried out through scripture. And we're told that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And let's, let's turn to, let's see, Hebrews 11 and verse 4. And by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. So here the writer of Hebrews said Abel's offering was more excellent than Cain's. Why? Because Abel followed what God had led them let them know. You know, often people say, well, we go by blind faith. We have to believe with blind faith. God never expects us to accept blind faith. God over and over and over has given us evidence 
of what is true. God has given us, he doesn't say, just believe, 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 but he says, this is the evidence. Um, there are many people that reject God's evidence. You know, when, since we're in the book of Genesis, Genesis is a book of beginnings. How did the world begin? Well, we, it seems that the world says, God didn't create the world, the world evolved. And yet, God has given us over and over and over again evidence to prove that he is the creator. I mean, even looking at the human body, or even at the simplest living thing. Somebody was once given the illustration, if you took a typewriter and took it apart, and you put it in a box and shook it, how long would you have to shake it for it to turn, come back together as a typewriter? A billion years? You know, they, they, they say, well, it, it happened over, you know, they just keep throwing time at it. And yet, a single cell in the human body is more complex than the most complex computer that we have today. We cannot fathom everything that, that happens within our human body, and yet they say it happened by accident. And the, my mind goes back to something that somebody mentioned, you know, when the astronauts first landed on the moon, there was concern because meteorites, some of them just microscopic in size or dust, size of dust particles, are continually bombarding the Earth and also the moon. But when they enter the Earth's atmosphere, they burn up. But the moon has no atmosphere. So when the astronauts first were landing on the moon, there was concern that all of this dust over the billions of years that the moon had existed would be so thick it would be a problem. But when the astronauts landed, there was just a very thin layer. Why? Because the moon isn't billions of years old. And that, that is, among other things, that is evidence of a young Earth, so to speak, when we compare it with the billions of years that the evolutionists believe it was here. And I believe the reason the evolutionists, to many of them, cling to evolution is because they do not want to be able to have to give an account to an, right. to an almighty God, a sovereign God. Right. And so if there is no God, then I'm not accountable to him. But we are accountable to God. Um, now, some people say, well, part of the Bible is true and relevant for today, but other, other parts of it, we, we can't, you know, we've we got to come into the 21st century. Well, let me say this. If you can't trust all of it, you can't trust any of it. Either it's all true and we can rely on all of it, or it's not true and we have to just throw the whole thing out. And then we have... Have I spent some time working with Mormons, and they have, I think it's three books. They have The Pearl of Great Price that they follow, Doctrines and Covenants, and then they say the Bible insofar as it is correctly translated. The problem is you can't tie them down and say, well, this is 
correctly translated and this isn't. It's, if this doesn't agree with our doctrine, then it must not be correctly translated. What's the authority? So if we don't take the Bible from Genesis to Revelation as authority, then we can't trust any of it. But I believe that God is faithful and he has, he has allowed us to trust all of it. Even the account given in Genesis 1, 2, 3, where we see the creation and the fall of man. And if that's not true, then, you know, if there's not the fall, then why, why did Jesus come to redeem us? Let's turn to Hebrews 9.22. Yes, 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. So over and over again, we see the, the law, our sins are, in this case, are covered with blood. But when Christ came to pay the ultimate sacrifice of his blood, of his body, and he shed his blood, it no longer covered our sins, but took them away. So everything up to this point was looking forward to what Christ was going to do. From the point in Genesis chapter 3, where God said that the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. From that point forward, all the sacrifices were looking forward to that event that was prophesied all the way back in Genesis 3. And when, when Cain offered his sacrifice, I think his problem was that he didn't see his sin as sin. And so he didn't need to make a blood sacrifice to atone for, for his sin. And a lot of times, it seems the world's idea of, of the judgment is that they're going to stand before God and God's got this big scale up there. And God's going to put all our good deeds over here and all our bad deeds over here. And if the good deeds obey the bad, outweigh the bad deeds, then we're going to get into heaven. But if the bad deeds outweigh the good deeds, then we go to hell. The problem is, God says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So if we take all our righteousnesses that we want to put over here, to outweigh the bad deeds, God says they belong over here too. So our righteousnesses, all our good deeds are not going to get us to heaven. Okay, back to, back to Genesis chapter 4. Okay, it says, but Cain, in verse 5, but 
Under Cain and his offering, he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. God, God rejected him, and he got mad. You know, isn't that just the way we are? If, I, if you don't like me, I'm going to get mad at you. And, and he didn't stop there. He says, and then, then God offers him something. He says, the Cain's, uh, in verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? And he continues, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. I believe what he's saying here by doing well is if, if you look back to right after the creation, Adam and Eve walked with God and they had communion with God. Why? Because they were in a state of, of sinless perfection, so to speak. As many call it an untried innocence, which once it was tried, they fell. But in any case, there was... They were innocent, and they had perfect communion with God. But now, he says, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If you're good, if you're sinless, we can have fellowship. I will accept you if you're perfect. Um... But the problem is, Scripture tells us, well, in Romans 3 it says, And as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. And the scripture goes on and on and shows us that, in fact, let's continue, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. The destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a perfect description of the human race. There is none that doeth good. We are all gone out of the way. We are... Together unprofitable. And so, God is looking down at Cain and he's saying essentially the same thing. But then he says, if you're good, if you've obtained perfection, we can have fellowship. But if not, then he says, the sin lieth at the door. Now, what does he mean by sin lieth at the door? Now, there are different interpretations of this, but I believe what he is saying is a sin offering lieth at the door. The, the fact of perfection is, is beyond it. I mean, that we've gone beyond that. He's not perfect. And as much as he'd like to, de- to deny it, deep down he knows that he is not right before God. But God says, sin or a sin offering lieth at the door. There is still a remedy. Even after he's been rejected, God is making him another offer. He's saying, if 
there is not perfection there, then there is a sin offering. You can still offer that blood sacrifice and be accepted. Unfortunately, Cain was not willing to take God's way. And so what does he do? Back in Genesis 4, And he says in in verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. You know, this is a theme that goes on through history. We have the righteous and the unrighteous. And over and over again, We don't see the righteous persecuting the unrighteous, but we see it the other way around. The unrighteous, deep down they know that they are sinners, and in order to hide themselves from the sin, they they take the person who is, is righteous and they persecute them. It's just human nature. I'm not good enough, so I'm going to persecute you because you are. Um, just We just can't stand for somebody to be better than we are. And so here we see, here was this, this man that was born, the first human born to man, And the one that Eve was looking at saying, this, I have gotten a man from the Lord. He is going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy that God has given us. And what do we see? He was the first murderer. What does that say about the human race? The first person that was ever born turned into a murderer. And this is how it goes continues we each of us have that same spirit in us it doesn't now when god saves us that spirit is subdued but this is a human race and that way it started and when in 1 John, John says, And as Cain, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So we see the righteous works of Abel in that he offered the sacrifice that God required. And we see the evil works of Cain in that he didn't recognize his own sin, sinful nature, and wasn't willing to go God's way, but wanted to go his own way. Um, I mentioned the Mormons before. Uh, if you if you were to go into their temple and you see the altar in the Mormon temple, you don't see a an animal sacrifice on the altar. You see fruits and vegetables. 
They're trying to offer unto God their works. And if we offer God our works, we will fail because our works are no good. And then the Lord comes to Cain and he said, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? Here, Cain has already slain his brother Abel. And God says, Where is Abel? I don't know. You know, it's, it's just like Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin with the, the fig leaves. Here, Abel says, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I didn't do it. I'm, I'm innocent. I don't know what's going on. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to keep track of where Abel is? He outright lies to God. The problem is you can't hide from God. And God responds to him, he says, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. I know what you've done. We can't hide from God. In Proverbs 21, 2, it says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. I think of of children uh, when you've got siblings, brothers, sisters. They get into a squabble, and the parents say, all right, what's going on here? He started it. He started it. I didn't do it. Not me. No one's willing to say, I'm sorry. I did it, and I'm sorry. I, I, I was wrong. Oh, how hard it is for us to say, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry. But this is what God requires. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. As long as I say, I didn't do it, I'm innocent, we remain guilty. But when we're willing to say, I'm wrong, I confess my wrong, I'm sorry, then God is willing to forgive. I think of, of David. David was, is described as a man under God, after God's own heart. But David wasn't perfect. And we all are familiar with David's sin with Bathsheba. And David tried to cover it up. He tried to hide it. Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was in the army. And he was off in battle. And David sent for Uriah and brought him home and tried to make it look like the the, the child that Bathsheba was carrying was Uriah's son. And so he tried to get her, get him to go, but Uriah was an honorable man. 
And Uriah knew that the armies were out there and putting their lives on the line. And he says, I'm not going to go into my wife. And so he refused to go. And so finally David sent him back. And not only had he committed adultery with Bathsheba, now he instructs, I believe it was Joab, to put him in the forefront of the hottest battle so that he would be killed. David didn't himself put his hand up on Uriah to kill him, but it was David's command that did so. And so now David is living with adultery and with murder. And if we look at the Psalms, we see that David inwardly knew he was wrong. And inside he was, he was at unrest and he had no peace with God. And it just, it just ate him up on the inside. And finally, David, uh, God sends his, his prophet to, to David, and he says, well, first he, he gives him a, a story. He says, there was a man, a poor man that had one little sheep that he kept with him all the time. And then another rich man came, and instead of taking from his own cattle, he took this one poor man's sheep, and he slew it for his guest. And David said, that man shall die. Now this, of course, was a picture of, of David with all of his wives and Uriah with his one wife that David had taken. And then the prophet said, you are the man. He says, God says, I gave you this and this and this and this, and I would have given you much more. But you despised my commandments, and you took what didn't belong to you. And David could have, could have kind of wormed his way out of it, but when he was confronted face first, with the prophet, he says, I have sinned. He was willing to say at that point, I have sinned. And this is what we need to do when we're confronted with either with scripture or by our own conscience to say, I have sinned. I, what I have done is wrong. I, but sin has consequences. And David paid those consequences for the rest of his life. Um, we think of, of um, Absalom, who tried to take over the kingdom. And that was part of the consequences. And the prophet said, you have done this thing in secret. But he says... It, shall, it will be done to you in the open. And Absalom took David's concubines and he openly violated them before everybody. So everybody knew what was going on. And so David sinned and David repented. But because he had caused given cause to the enemies of Israel 
to blaspheme, David paid the consequences for the rest of his life. And so sin has consequences, and it had consequences for Cain also. And what were those consequences? And now, in verse 11, And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood at thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. So Cain's sin had consequences. You know, no matter how evil a person is, they still have a chance to repent. And I believe Cain also, if he had said, I was wrong, here's the offering I need to offer, even after he killed Abel, I'm willing to, to say I was wrong and I'm willing to make the offering, I believe God still would have accepted him. We think of, um, in the Old Testament, the kings of Israel. If you think of the most wicked king that reigned over Israel, I think you'd come up with the name Ahab. Ahab, who chose Isabel, or Jezebel, rather, Jezebel to be his wife. And Jezebel egged him on to do evil and more evil and more evil. At one point, he wanted he wanted the, the vineyard of Naboth. And he moped and he whined and he says, Oh, he won't give me his vineyard. So Jezebel says, You're the king. You don't have to put up with this. You can go take it. And so... Jezebel arranged for Naboth to be killed, and then he says, she said to, to Ahab, he's dead, now you can go take the, the vineyard. But if we look at him, you know, we think of all the evil that he did through his life, but when he comes to the end of his life, he suddenly realizes who God is and his own wickedness, and he repents, and God forgives him. At the end of this wicked life, and I believe the same would have been true with Cain, if he had said, I was wrong and been willing to accept God's way, God would have forgiven him. But he, even then, he refused to, to accept God's way. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whoso slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set upon a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Um. In this case, God said 
Though you murdered somebody, you're not going to die. Now that, that changed later. And God said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why the change? I don't know. Except that I think if there was not punishment for, for such crimes, and that's not the only crime that was punishable by death, but if there was no punishment, then evil would continue to grow worse and worse. And in fact, before the flood, it did. And it said, and it, as God looked down upon man, he said, everybody is wicked. And, I, and then he looked at Noah and he said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But as God looked at man, he says, violence was upon the earth. And so without the punishment, wickedness and evil and violence continues to grow. And so God determined and instructed that people were to be punished. And murder was one of those crimes that was punishable by death. There were a number of others. Adultery, in fact, was punishable by death. And when when the prophet came to, to David at God's bidding, and David said, I have sinned, David said, Thou shalt not surely die. Why would he say that? Because David had committed adultery, and the punishment for adultery was death. We think that's rather severe today. We think it's, you know, that's doesn't person that kills that that commits adultery doesn't deserve to die but God said that they do and there were several others a rebellion if a a child rebelled against his parents they were to be killed but here he says he put a mark upon him lest that any finding him should kill him And he says, therefore, whoso slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set up a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And so here, you know, we like to think of stories with good endings. This one didn't. This one had a sad ending. Because as far as we can tell, Cain was separated from God for the rest of his life. And you think, you know, today if a person lives to be 90 or 100, we think of them as living, having lived a long time. But here, as we read through the genealogies, we find that most of the people were living into in 900 years and over. So if... if Cain followed that. He was separated from God for, for all this time. And all this time he had an opportunity to repent. But as far as we know, he never did. And then he was separated from God eternally. We need to take this as an example for us. Are we willing to do it God's way? Are we willing to say, I have sinned? 
and look to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We can do it God's way or we can do it our way. Let's do it God's way. Let's pray.